Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, again, we just ask that you'll teach us through your word today. We thank you for the gift that we have of being able to know how to uh, obey you, of what it means to serve you. And really, most importantly, the start of all this, what it means to know you, how we can actually know the God of this universe. So, Lord, as we even think about um, just the relationships that we're going to see in, in Paul's life today, that it would encourage us in our relationships here within this body. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we began... Um, looking at Paul's farewell statements, including some final instructions that covered three different areas. The first one was to pray earnestly, as we think of, of uh, you know, what we were told to do last week. And this means to be committed to praying and to be watchful for opportunities to pray. So that means that when something comes along um, on our emails and we see them, we will you know, do what we can to, to stop and, and pray for those things or take note of them and pray for them later. might be a situation that we see at work or in our, in, in our neighborhood or whatever it is. Paul was speaking about praying for our own spiritual growth, but he was also talking about praying for the needs of others. And so we discussed that again, like I say, last week in detail. He also said that we were to live intentionally. We are told to live wisely, and Paul applied wise living to treating those outside of the church appropriately. It was really one of the main focuses there. So we should be prepared to respond to those outside of the church when they notice that we live differently. Uh, that is whether that comment is positive or negative. We should be ready to respond to that. And then we saw in the um, example of Epaphras that we are to serve zealously. Simply put, as we consider all that Christ has rescued us from and all that we were given in him, we should enthusiastically serve the Lord. Amen. Lord means master, right? He is our master and we are to serve him. So today we're going to consider the people that Paul speaks about in his closing comments. And we will also lightly introduce the letter to Philemon. These two letters were written together along with the Ephesian letter. We've kind of gone back and forth a little bit between Colossians and Ephesians when, when we've wanted a little bit of a different view on things because they're very similar. And I just thought, well, you know, let's not leave poor Philemon out, right? There's, there's some reasons why that book is there that small letter, and so we'll, we'll uh, start looking at that next week, but introducing it a bit this week. So there's several different groups that Paul uh, talks about here, and the first one is Paul's messengers. Um, and we, we read through that passage already, and so we're just going to kind of go down through and look at some of these. The first one is Tychicus, and if you uh, would kind of stay there in, in Colossians 4, you can see where his name appears and, and you can kind of follow along. He's described, and by the way, let me just stop here for a minute. We're going to make some application of this, but right now, we're just going to kind of go through and talk about these people. So it's going to be a little on the matter-of-fact side, but there's, there's a reason for this, and really we need to understand there's a reason why this is in, you know, Scripture, why God had this stay and be a part of his word. So Tychicus here is described as a beloved brother. He describes the closeness that Paul and Tychicus enjoyed. He's also called a faithful minister, uh, one who faithfully served Paul and others. Okay, and if you remember, even last week we talked about there's a couple different aspects to this idea of minister or servant. One of them is more of serving other people, and then, the other, and then the other word has to do with being a servant or even a slave, which is the next thing that we see. He was a fellow servant. Tychicus was a partner with Paul in ministry. He was a servant of the Lord. So we have recorded that Paul sent Tychicus to several places. Uh, no doubt, based upon Paul's description, he did much more than simply act as Paul's mailman. Right? He didn't just deliver letters and then move on to the next mailbox, so to speak. 
In addition to delivering the letters, Tychicus was to convey what was happening in Paul's life and to the churches in Ephesus, Colossae, and probably the churches in Laodicea and Areopolis. All right? So, so he was to tell them all that was going on in Paul's life because they were wanting to minister to Paul. They had been beneficial, um, or they had benefited from Paul's ministry in their lives, even though he had never been there. He, Tychicus, was also to report back to Paul about what was happening in the Colossian church and the other churches they were sent to. So Paul must have had a tremendous trust and confidence in Tychicus to give him these letters and to have him not only deliver them, but to give a report, an accurate report of what was going on with Paul, and then to turn around and give an accurate report of what was going on in the churches. So a a really interesting, neat relationship there. And then we have Onesimus who was also one of these messengers. He's called Faithful and a Beloved Brother. But we're not going to talk about him as much today because we're going to spend more time on Onesimus in the next couple of weeks as we look at that short letter written to Philemon. So we'll just have to hang on for him. The next thing we see here are Paul's companions. So we have specifically his messengers, those that he sent out with these letters. Not that they weren't with him at times. We'll touch on that a little bit, but now we have Paul's companions that he talks about. These are those who also sent greetings to all of these people. There are three Jewish companions that he describes. The first one is Aristarchus, described as a fellow prisoner. He, so he was probably imprisoned with Paul, and probably for the same reasons that Paul was imprisoned, that he was sharing the gospel right along with Paul. But what I find interesting is, is that you have Aristarchus described along with Tychicus um, as, as, again, these fellow, these, these, these guys that were with him. And what I want us to do is I want us to look at uh, Acts. In Acts chapter 20, we see that Aristarchus and Tychicus were both traveling companions with Paul. And Timothy was there too. But um, uh, as we look at Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And then 13 through 16. Acts 20. Now, we're, we're you know, looking at a specific period of time here, okay? So I just want you to understand that. But it just, it just illustrates what they were involved with. It says, after the uproar had ceased, we can't deal with that right now, but it had to do with... Uh, Demetrius and, and some issues that were going on in Ephesus, Paul called the disciples to him, embraced them, and departed to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over uh, that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months, and then the Jews plotted against him. As, was, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius uh, of, of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus with Trophimus of Asia. These men were, were going ahead and waited for him at Troas. So just before we get to verses 13 and 16, we've got a little map here to kind of give you the idea of where Paul is traversing. We see Asia. We're not talking about like Southeast Asia. We're talking about the province, the Roman province of Asia, right? And then, as you saw, he went over to Macedonia, which is to, to the left, right? And so you can kind of see this is his, his third missionary journey. And so then on his way back, uh, he goes through this certain area. And so I want to uh, then skip over to uh, verse 13. And you can even kind of follow along from north to south along this area of Asia. It says, and then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos. Then intending to take Paul on board, uh, for so he had given orders, intending, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met up at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. And we sailed from there, and the next day came upon, uh, I'm going to say Chios, I have no idea how to pronounce that. And the following day, he arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. And the next day, we came to Miletus. And Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that we would 
not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. All right? So as you can see, and I'm going to pull away from the mic here a minute, but as he's coming down south, he ends up going to Miletus, which is just south of Ephesus. All right? And the only reason why I'm showing you that is because you know, Paul was all over the place, but there were people that went with him. And there's a lot of kind of matter-of-fact things here, but there's some time that has gone by, right? There's things that happen along the way. There's things that are, there's things that are taking place. And even before that, there was ministry that, that they were participating in and involved with. And so I just wanted you to understand that when we're talking about his traveling companions, right, uh, these, these weren't, you know, carnival cruises, okay? You know, these were just getting into, you know, probably you know, either fishing boats or some other type of, of um, you know, ship that was just taking cargo back and forth, and they were just getting on for transportation, all right? And then uh, a little bit later on, we know that what happened was uh, when he was in Miletus, he had, he had uh, summoned the, the leaders of the Ephesian church to come to him. And if you notice, he didn't want to go to Ephesus because he knew that was going to bog him down. And let's not forget what was going to happen was Paul was going to go to, to, to Jerusalem and eventually was going to, in essence, turn himself in. He was going to appeal to the Roman law and he was going to be taken to Rome. All right. So he's, he's approaching his next imprisonment. Okay. So that's kind of what's going on there. And then we see him talk about Mark. This is the same Mark we, who wrote the gospel account of Christ bearing his name. And there are several passages that I want us to see about Mark. We're going to talk about him more a little bit later. But in Acts 12, 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had finished their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, I just gave you a map, and that was his third missionary journey, right? I'm not trying to give people headaches. I'm just trying to help you understand. We're bringing references to where these people are coming in in Paul's life. Well, here's Mark who is now going to accompany them on their second missionary journey, okay? They had just finished their first, they came back, they reported, and now they're going to take Mark. But in Acts 13, again, some time has gone by. It's not like oh, one chapter, one day, right? You know, some time has gone by here, but look at what Acts 13, 13 says. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. That was his full name, okay? So we're talking about the same individual, Mark, who bailed, okay? That's, that's what happened. And then we read in Acts 15, as now they're heading out again, um, I want you to look at Acts 15. Obviously, that's prior to Acts 20. Again, we're talking about something that's going on prior to their third missionary journey. And I want us to look at verse 36 there. Acts 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them Take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on as well. Okay? So I, I just want you to understand that this isn't going to be next week, but this is going to be a little bit later on in the message. Let's reserve this for just a minute. But I want you to kind of leave that, that tension there, okay? There's, there's an issue here with Mark, all right? So as we continue with this idea of Paul's companions, now we're going to talk about some other companions that Paul had that were, that were uh, uh, Gentiles, okay? Uh, actually, no, we have one more, Justice. Who was, who was a Jew. Sorry about that. One more. Um, Justice, all, 
these couple of things I'm going to tell you describe all three of them. All three were called fellow workers. So Justice was called a fellow worker as well. And then he was also one of those who comforted Paul. That's what the scriptures tell us again in Colossians 4. So they were fellow workers, they were partners in ministry, and they were a comfort to Paul during all of his travels. Right? Again, just keep these things in mind. Now we go to the, to the non-Jewish partners. There was Epaphras. We detailed Epaphras last week, but here are just some reminders. Again, Epaphras was our example of, of, of a zealous um, uh, worker, a zealous servant. Uh, he was from Colossae, and he planted the churches in that region that, are, that we already referenced. Epaphras was deeply committed to prayer, specifically for their spiritual well-being and spiritual growth in the Lord. All right, that was what that was what Epaphras was dedicated to prayer about, and he enthusiastically served the Lord and others. Again, you're probably seeing a pattern with some of these things, right? Uh, there should be; <laughs> these guys are all in, in ministry together. But then we also see in Philemon one twenty three that Epaphras is called a fellow prisoner in Christ. So he too spent some time either in prison with Paul probably the case, but he also was there to minister to Paul while he was in prison. One of the things, and, and I don't understand all of this, but uh, the last movie night we had, I think, was was about Paul, if I'm not mistaken. And there was a neat illustration with Luke there, who's going to be coming up next, uh, where where Luke was with him. Luke was not imprisoned, uh, but Paul Paul did not have the freedom to leave his prison but wasn't necessarily in some dungeon all the time either. It's, it's kind of complicated sometimes how, how he was imprisoned, right? Um, we know, for example, when you kind of think of John, uh, John meaning the Revelation John, where he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, okay? That was his holding place. Probably was able to have visitors just, just like um, Paul was. Uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't um, uh, maximum security, I guess, is a, is a, is a way to say that. It wasn't that way with him all the time. And so Epaphras was, again, a fellow prisoner with him. And then again, we, we see Luke here. And just, just one uh, verse to, to uh, remind us of Luke. Uh, Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So we see here, again, no mistaking who Luke is. He's this beloved physician, probably um, someone that Paul needed very much for medical attention uh, if you remember, he was beaten several times. Uh, he did have uh, that thorn in the flesh as well and other things. So uh, Paul probably needed Luke to minister to him along the way. Um, and in Philemon 24, Luke is called a fellow laborer. So again, he's someone that's come alongside of Paul to minister to Paul, but also to minister with Paul. We know that Luke wrote an account of Christ, one of the Gospels, and he also wrote the book of Acts to a man named Theophilus. So that was one of the ways that Paul was used. I'm sorry, Luke was used, but he talked many, much of Paul's life in the book of Acts. When Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he told Timothy that only Luke was presently with him, that everyone else, had, he had either... Um, uh, uh, assigned off somewhere else or they had deserted him. So Luke was a committed, dedicated follower of Christ and ministered to Paul even through his imprisonments. Luke was one that stuck with him. All right? So that's some pretty interesting things there. Then we come to the man who's named Demas. Um, if you notice, he's in this reference here. This is an earlier reference to the same Demas who abandoned Paul during his first imprisonment in Rome. We read in 2 Timothy that Demas left uh, Paul because he loved this present world. And we're going to take a look at that passage there. It says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Some speculate that this was his hometown, so he could have left Paul, really just like Mark, to return home. All right? Now, there's a few things to consider as we look at Demas's life. Paul says nothing about him falling away from the faith or denying Christ, which is how he, uh, which is how he described others when they had done the same thing. All right, so there isn't anything that's directly 
telling us that Demas, Demas just left you know, the, the, the things of the Lord completely. Demas loved temporal things rather than suffering with Paul. An example would be a modern-day missionary going out into the field and becoming overwhelmed with the culture, with the responsibilities, with maybe even the loneliness of ministry, all those different things. And then after a couple of terms, they simply come home and say, I, I can't do that anymore, right? So I began with Paul's comments about Demas in his later letter to Timothy because some read and Demas in Colossians 4.14. That's what we're looking at right here, right? I'm sorry, the previous passage that we had up there as an indicator that they were, there was already a problem. And so here it is again, Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. So what they basically say is Demas was just kind of an afterthought. You know, he's, he's really maybe just being cure, uh, courteous. It's an add-on because Paul already had concerns about his dedication. But and Demas is merely Paul's way of adding him to the list of, of uh, uh, those who are greeting other believers. It's, he's really just saying he's, he's one of them. Also, Paul mentions Demas, along with Mark, Aristarchus, and Luke, as his fellow laborers in Philemon 24. So again, remember, all these letters were sent at the same time. Clearly, Paul thought very highly of Demas from the, for the very reasons that he was a faithful minister and partner and servant with Christ, of Christ. So Paul had no issue with Demas when he wrote Colossians and Philemon. So I'm just going to admit something here, folks. Uh, I was in that category for years, you know, trashing Demas, you know, uh, labeling him as some turncoat, as someone who had, who had left the faith. But as I studied this, the wording just didn't sit right with me. And as I studied it more and saw what other people wrote about this, I was, I was just impressed that he really was overwhelmed with what he was facing. And he, and, and I, I, may, I may have mentioned this was Paul's first imprisonment. It was actually a second. He had already endured one imprisonment that Paul had, had, uh, had, had, had to go through. So the point came where he had just had enough. And we use the term, right? He threw in the towel. He's like, I, I just can't do this anymore. So like Mark, we will revisit Demas a little bit later. I want to say more about him in a moment. But I want to give you a quote from John Calvin. We must not suppose that he altogether, we're talking about Demas, denied Christ or gave himself up either to ungodliness or to the allurements of the world. But he merely preferred his private convenience or his safety to the life of Paul. He could not have assisted Paul without many troubles and vexations attended by imminent risk of his life. He was exposed to many reproaches and must have submitted to many insults. What's the point? The point is, is it's not like Demas didn't go through anything, but there was a point when he said, I can't endure this. All right. And Paul's estimation, and, and I do believe that that, because it's in the word, it confirms this. This is something that really Demas was called to and should have, for sake of a better term, gutted through. He should have endured this. All right. So again, we're going to talk about that in a few moments as well. But now let's talk about those whom Paul greeted. First, there was this greeting to the church in Laodicea, right? Now, I need to cover a minor point just because we have different translations, I'm sure, uh, that are represented in the congregation here. Some translate uh, and use the word nymphus. Others say nympha. Uh, one is male, one is female. And it says him or her, right? Or the church that is in his house or her house. Scholars basically say that this is difficult to determine the person's uh, gender, um, simply because of, of maybe the name and the Greek and, and the combination thereof. But I just wanted to tell you, it's really not important. I just didn't want it to be a distraction, okay? So we kind of covered that. The point is that uh, there was a church in this person's home, and these two churches were supposed to exchange letters with one another. So that's the greeting that we have as to, he included the Laodicean church even in the letter to the Colossians. 
And then we have Archippus and Apphia. And this is where we're going to kind of transition over a little bit to the Philemon uh, reading that we had. But Paul specifically says to Archippus, pay attention to the ministry that God has given you to do. And so as we dovetail to Philemon's Philemon, and, and we can say chapter 1, but there is only one chapter. Uh, I just want to remind us of, of this passage, verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says that they are beloved. That's not the first time we've seen him describe someone that way, a beloved friend and that type of thing. Archippus here is described as a fellow soldier, and some believe that he was probably the pastor of this church. Um, he and Atvia hosted the church in their home. As a matter of fact, Colossians 4.17 is, is kind of an, um, um, uh, I can't think of it, reinforcement, sorry, of this idea that he was the pastor. And, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Okay, that was some pretty specific uh, language that was directed toward Archippus. So now we have, again, this bridge that goes from uh, really what is in, in real time taking place where we have the Colossian letter that's greeting certain individuals and, and the letter to Philemon that is including some of these other individuals, not only later in the book uh, reporting uh, and, and describing some of these people, but also earlier in the book, greeting some of these people. So th they're, they're tied perfectly together here, all right? And of course, we can understand why. And then, again, we're going to develop him a little bit later, but Philemon is also called here a beloved friend and fellow laborer. So where does all this leave us? Uh, we're going to be a little more um, applicational today. Um, there's a lot of kind of matter-of-fact stuff that's going on here, but I believe it's here for a purpose. And so as we consider our application, I just want us to take away some important truths that this list might not seem uh, to obviously convey at first. The first one is fellowship in Christ is universal. All right? Fellowship in Christ is universal. When we meet a believer, there is an immediate kinship, isn't there? I mean, I've been in different parts of the world, and, and when you can relate together on, on the, the, the level of them being with you in Jesus Christ, there is just an automatic relationship there that is different than any other one. Sometimes you can't even understand their language. Someone else has to, has to translate that with you, but, but man, your hearts just join with them. Amen. Now, that can be across town as well, or even across the lunch table. All right, but there is there is a, a a kinship when we're talking to someone, when we're with someone who knows Christ. It might be that you just run into somebody doing something. I mean, for Maggie and I, you know, we we've talked about this a number of times. I don't mean to bore you with it, but it's just it's what we do. We bird watch, right? So you know, we could be driving along in a tram, you know, going to the next, you know, to, to the next birding location. And, and you strike up a conversation with somebody, and sometimes we're able to make those gospel conversations, but sometimes these people already know the Lord. And then you're talking about how, yeah, man, look at this world that God has created for us and all those different things. And again, you, you have this immediate fellowship that takes place there that goes way beyond our little feathered friends, right? So what I want to encourage you to consider is this. Don't let the particulars of doctrine get in the way of personal, notice that I stress that, fellowship with a true follower of Christ. I said that very carefully. Don't let the particulars of doctrine get in the way of personal fellowship with a true follower of Christ. There is ecclesiastical or church separation. We don't we don't fellowship as a body of believers with those who don't believe the same way we do. Why? Because what we would be saying is, what you believe is okay. All right? But I don't see in Scripture any reason why we can't fellowship, associate. We actually should associate with fellow believers, even if there are doctrinal differences. All right? Again, 
We're not saying that you're going to sit there and you're going to say that whatever they're doing is right. You might even have some disagreements. Okay? There might be some ways you can build into their life. And folks, I'm just going to kind of name some names here. Uh, Mormons are not our brothers and sisters. They don't believe in the same Jesus. That's not an unkind thing to say. They would say differently. But they believe Jesus was a created being. If you follow the logic of their, of their um, theology, who we consider God the Father would have to have been a created being. Okay, so they, they don't they don't believe the same way we do. Okay. There are those who don't see God himself the same way we do. Um, and, and I apologize the the um, theological term slips my mind. But there are those who believe that I think it's called modalism. Uh, there are those who believe that that we had God, the father. And then we had God the Son, and then we had God the Spirit, but they did not all exist at the same time. There is no triunity. There is a trinity of sorts, but it's really just the same God who expresses himself in different ways in different ages. Folks, we reject that. Okay? So I can't, I can't sit there and say that they don't have a faith in Christ, but boy, if Jesus is no longer around and it's just the holy spirit now i got a tough time with that so here's my point i am not saying that theology doesn't matter i'm not saying that doctrine doesn't matter we've got to be discerning but when we're talking about a true believer right we should be able to have a basic fellowship with them all right so that's just something to to learn i mean these folks who knows who they ran into? Who knows where those churches were? I mean, many of them were brand new churches. People were bringing their baggage with them. And man, just Paul just kept on loving them, kept on helping them to grow, right? So that's where we're at. Also, Paul needed others. I would guess that we think of Paul as almost a Christian superhero, right? That's what we have in our minds. Yet we have seen that Paul needed people. We saw this throughout as he's describing people. Now, uh, our study identified how Paul uh, desperately needed his fellow believers. In what ways? Well, we're going to kind of apply this to us. Just like Paul, we need friends. We just had a series on that during our Bible Fellowship Hour, right? And, and we, we talked about the importance of friendship and what biblical friendship is all about. So there are several, uh, and we're not going to go through all those, but there are several characteristics that relate to um, uh, having a strong, deep, biblical friendship with somebody. And some of that has to do with just, just being transparent and honest with one another. Some of it has to do with having more of a connection than just what we do together, but it's really kind of who we are together, ministering together and all those different things. Some of these things that we see in these beloved friends that Paul had. I want to be careful just because we don't have someone who was our extreme best friend doesn't mean that we can't have a good, solid friendship with them, even in the church, all right? So let's move on then. We need partners in ministry, just like Paul did. Again, what we think of Paul is man, he, just, he just jumped into this city and he started preaching and they beat the daylights out of him and then he got thrown in jail and all these other things. And yeah, what we just see here, he had all kinds of people around him. He didn't just march in there alone. We think, I think sometimes, of Paul as a loner. He was not. We see no evidence of that from his letters and not from these two letters that we're looking at this morning. So if Paul needs a partner, if Paul needs people around him, we do too. We're not to do ministry alone. We need comfort and encouragement. We need that, folks. Maybe even this past week, right? You, you, you were reeling from something. Now, sometimes, uh, I'll get there in a minute. Also, we need those who will help us in various ways. See, not all of this was necessarily doctrinally based, but it was all based upon glorifying Christ. 
okay? We're not going to lose track of that. And so there's all different practical ways that we can help one another, even if we go back to Luke, who, you know, as far as the day and age is concerned, you know, he's a traveling physician with Paul. The bottom line is that just like Paul, we need others. And others need us to be a fellow laborer with them. All right? So again, there might have been a time, even this past week, where you needed someone, okay? Or someone needed you. Now, sometimes that's obvious, and we should be ready to respond, right? Just so we talked about that zealous, that enthusiastic attitude of service. That's not just, yeah, yeah, coach, put me in. It's actually getting in there and, and blocking and tackling and all those other things, right? Not, not literally, okay? As soon as I started with that analogy, I'm like, okay, you can pull back a little bit there. Anyway, <laughs> so, so here's the point. We, we have to be involved. But there are times when we have needs. And when we're talking about those beloved friends and we're talking about those ministry partners, folks, don't be afraid to lean on them. We have that example with Paul. Paul, right? The superhero Christian. What does he say? Pray for me. What does he tell Timothy? Come quickly. I need you. <laughs> Why do we go it alone? You see how important this is? I mean, we, you know, it's, yeah, let's just get past these greetings and okay, salutations, blah, blah, blah. No, there's some important stuff here. There's some important principles to daily living, the things that we live out in Christ together. So first, fellowship in Christ is universal. Fellowship in Christ is universal. Next, Paul needed others. The other thing I want to point out is that Demas is a warning to us that we can blow it. All right? I want to apply what we have already observed about Demas. We don't have any details about why Demas left Paul, except that Paul said he loved this present world. Have you considered how certain choices in your Christian life might cost you and you shrunk back in order to avoid the risks? That's really what Demas did. It may be discomfort. It may be inconvenience. It may be ridicule. It may be financial cost. Wonderful. Whatever it is. If you can come up here and do this, Bill. Just, oh, there I got it on my screen. Hang on. I, I touched it. I'm just, just telling you. Anyway. It may be an inconvenience, right? <laughs> but whatever the reason, we may have shrunk back from an opportunity for service. We need to avoid being guilty of this. All right? We really strongly need to avoid this. In other words, when we are capable when God has given us opportunity, when we're able to do these things, we need to take those on as God-given opportunities. Now, the other person we need to look at is Mark. Mark is a reminder that we can recover. I think it's beautiful these two men are both in this passage because it works. We looked at the book of Acts to discover more about Mark, right? We, we saw that. We saw that he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their second missionary trip to the churches that they had planted. We saw that partway through the trip, John Mark reacts very similar to Demas in, in that he doesn't want to continue. When Paul and Barnabas determined to go on their third trip, Barnabas wants to take Mark. But the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was so strong that they decided to go their separate ways. But it doesn't sound very Christian, or we could say it sounds very Christian. They're <laughs> arguing, right? Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. God used that. And we don't know exactly how or why, but I want to clearly communicate that I don't think that Paul did anything wrong in refusing to take Mark. I really don't. Not just because Scripture is silent. That's not a good argument. But Paul had his goals and his purposes for the journey. He did not feel that Mark was going to help him fulfill those. Okay. Yet Paul lists Mark as a fellow worker and a comfort. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 4 again. 
Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Mark was a comfort to Paul. Mark was a fellow uh, partner in ministry with Paul. Now let's also see what he says here um, in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for ministry. The primary takeaway from Mark's story is that we are never washed up or washed out of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we, we, can, we can blow it sometimes. We can shrink back. We, we can miss the mark. We can miss opportunities. But we don't have to stay there. Another vital truth, and this kind of is a part of all of this. At times, we all need a Barnabas. We need someone to encourage us. He, he's called the, the, the son of encouragement. Folks, I hope that at times we can be a Barnabas, but there's times when we need a Barnabas. I really think that it's on a practical level, Paul, rightfully speaking, could not be bothered with uh, uh, Mark, okay? He, he had other people that he was going to need to be focused on. He, he didn't have confidence in him. Barnabas came alongside of Mark, worked with him in ministry, and not only brought, I believe, Mark's confidence back, but brought Paul's confidence back in Mark. So very important. So just some last thoughts here. We must carefully put this into an appropriate real-life context, right? How, how do we live this out? We've done that a little bit, but we all have different God-given gifts and abilities. We all do. All have been given gifts and abilities in differing measure. That's what Romans tells us. All have different opportunities and resources for service. Romans tells us that and Acts, I'm sorry, not Acts, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that. We can't measure ourselves against others to determine our own faithfulness. Do you understand that? The standard for each one of us is what God has given to us and how we use it. Not what somebody else has in comparison to me. All right? I'm just going to be as blunt as I can be. If I compared myself to other people, I would never do what I'm doing right now. There's no way to measure up. Especially in this day and age, right? Oh, well, I, I was listening to Alistair Begg the other day. He talked about your message. <laughs> he was a lot better than you were. Well, go figure, right? You know, and on and on we can go, right? I, I, and again, I'm just going to tell you, you know, earlier on in, in, in ministry, you know, that just kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a dig. You know what I mean? Later on, it's like, Fantastic. You know what I mean? I'm like it just, just it just rolls off. Why? Because I'm not comparing myself to everybody else. As a matter of fact, I'm very willing to say, yeah, listen to him. More power to you. Praise the Lord. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves. Just praise the Lord. <laughs> it's great that we have many resources today. It's great that you have someone else feeding you, right? That is a lot better than the one feeding you right now. That's fantastic. Really. So we must consider our own responsibilities in both everyday life and minister and determine how we can use those things for Christ. Okay? Doesn't mean that we're independent of one another. We see very clearly that we are dependent upon one another. We're not doing ministry alone. At the same time, we don't measure ourselves by other people. Again, I'll just go back to, you know, take any little, you know, list that we can have, you know. What are you good at? What are you not good at? There's a lot of not good ats. There's way more for me not good at, right? So if, if I, 
if I'm looking at that not good at list and I'm constantly thinking to myself, oh, I don't measure up here and I don't measure up there, you know, I'm going to frustrate myself. I'm going to require myself to try to do things that God hasn't even given me the ability to do. Right? Now, on the flip side of that, I don't want to shrink away from the things that he has given me to do. So there's the balance that we have. And for every person, in one sense, it's going to be the same because the standard is God's word. But in one sense, it's going to be different because he has made us everyone differently, every situation differently, right? So that helps us not only with judging ourselves, but even kind of how we measure other people. I'm certain that Mark, that Luke, that Epaphras, that all these men had the different things that God built into their lives. They, they had a unified ministry, except for when Demas didn't, okay? And, and, and even Mark, they had a unified ministry. But I'm sure that God used them in different ways. And now... Let's take that level off and let's just look at those local churches. Let's look at our own local church, right? When you're looking at the, the, the Paul level, and I don't mean level of like importance of ministry. I just mean that strata of ministry, right? How, how many of you are going to go on the road and, and, and you know, I don't know, just, just take the Eastern United States, Right. And, and, you know, drive around and sail around and all that kind of stuff and, and just preach the gospel. How I many of you have the ability to do that? You see where I'm going? So, well, okay, well, there's nothing for you then. <laughs> no. There's plenty for each and every one of us to do. And, and that doesn't end. It might change over time, but it doesn't end. So just, just one quick thing here. Um, one of the things that, that Maggie and I have always had the privilege of doing, um, but, but um, uh, at one point we, we uh, you know, we talked with older folks a lot and we would visit them in their homes and things like that. Sometimes we'd even go on trips with them. Those were fun. Time. Yeah, one just quick fact there, okay? I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. Um, teenagers, like you always have to have your head in a swivel. You know what I'm saying? No offense, young people, but there's a lot of you going around. It's like, okay, what's happening, right? So anyway, that was that. Well, then we go on a trip with these older folks and we're driving along. And one day we had, we had a shuttle bus and one day we're driving along somewhere and, and partway through the day, they all say, Hey, can we go back to the hotel and take a nap? (laughs) Maggie and I were like, what? We can take a nap in the middle of the day? You know, with teenagers, you don't even sleep at night. Okay? So it's like, this is tremendous. So, you know, different stages of ministry, right? But here's my point. Some of us in this room might think to ourselves, you know what? I, I, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do the other thing anymore. Right? What can you do? I see particularly in these letters that the ministry of prayer is essential. Amen. Boy, we put out that prayer sheet, folks. If, if you can't do anything else, it's not like, well, then just pray. No, you actually have been reserved to have the time and the ability to have a very important ministry in the lives of your brothers and sisters. So in all those different things, I just want us to, to really consider what these letters meant, what Paul was actually communicating. And when we, when we kind of bring some of these other nuances together and, and, and add some facts together, what we realize is this, is that Paul was not going it alone. The lesson is we don't. But we minister together as God has given us ability. Folks, some of you, you have some very deep responsibilities with your home right now. Maybe you have smaller children. Maybe your, your, your kids just have a lot going on right now, okay? You can't necessarily do some of the things that somebody else can do. Again, we don't shrink back 
from what we've been called to do, from what we, we know that God has enabled us to do, but we can't do everything. For some of us, maybe we have a little more time now, and there's some areas that we can get involved with and, and, and see how that can take place. And young people, okay, ministry is for you too. There's ways that you can serve. And so I just want us to be considering those things and how we can support one another, how we can encourage one another, pray for one another, uh, partner together. And as we do that, boy, look, look at some of the blessings these folks had together. I mean, there, there was just some tremendous things that took place. Now, again, a, a very unique time in the, in, the, in the time of the church. But it's not like we can't do some of those things together here. All right. So let's really consider how we can. Let's look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we have, again, just examined these different things, we just pray that you'll receive the glory as a result. That as we work together, we know that ultimately it is because we have fellowship with you. Uh, what an exciting thing to be a part of the body of Christ. And Lord, there may be someone here who does not know you as Savior. Um, everything that we're talking about, um, it might even appeal to them. But yet they haven't placed their faith fully in you. Lord, I pray that they'll talk with one of us even today. Not because we have the answers. Not because we can save them. But we can show them who you are through your word. Or it might be that someone here, they've heard, they know. And today is the day that they need to respond to you. Lord, I pray that you move in their hearts. Father, there may be someone who has just been a little slack in, in, in their responsibilities, the things that they know that you have given them to do, here or elsewhere. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage them to really make the most of the life that you have given to them. Lord, we can all improve. We can all grow, and we're on that trajectory, hopefully. But I pray that we will measure ourselves according to your standard and not the standard of others. And that we'll trust you. We'll trust you when we have opportunities to do them. We thank you, Lord, that we didn't just join a country club, that we don't just sit back and, and wait for the rapture, but that we have some work to do while we're here, furthering your kingdom. And as we do that, Lord, we want to do that even as we talked about with some enthusiasm, with, with, with a passion because of what Christ has done for us. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.